to Exodus 33 in your Bibles, and we're going to throw the scripture up there on the screen uh, if you didn't bring Bibles this morning. Uh, during worship, I decided to change the metaphor uh, that I was going to use in my message. And when the church, this church was a couple years old, uh, we did a series, uh, and I preached a message called Six Doors to the Same Room. And the room, uh, as I defined it then, was the, uh, the presence of God, the transforming presence of God. And I just wanted to use a little different metaphor this morning. Uh, one of the, the metaphors that the New Testament uses to describe the believer individually as well as the community of, of God is, is, is a tabernacle, is a tent. Uh, something that, that carries the presence of God. And it's a tent in the sense that it can always be moved. It's always going somewhere. It settles down for a time and season, but then you're able to pick it up and take it somewhere else. And so uh, that's one of the metaphors that the Bible uses, not only for the community of God, but for us individually. And I just want to pull out of uh, just this whole idea of tent of meeting as a place where you meet God, as a place where uh, you, you can hear his voice, where you do business with God. So in Matthew, uh, Matthew Exodus, uh, and I didn't have time to uh, print this out, so I've got to actually read from my Bible, which has really small print. <laughs> Let me get into the light here. Okay. Uh, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance uh, to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds uh, standing at the entrance of the tent, and they all stood in worship each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, uh, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Sounds like some of our uh, younger disciples here. They just love to worship. <laughs> uh, starting at verse uh, 13. And this, uh, this next verse is kind of the conversation. That, that, that Moses is having inside the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But if you have not, let me know whom you will send with me. Okay, let me say that again. You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know uh, whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me, and you are pleased with me, Teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So here's this great conversation that, that, uh, that Moses is, is having with God where you called me. I remember, you know, you called me by name. Uh, you called me to lead these people. But there's some parts that seem to be missing. And, and God, I want to continue to find favor with you continue to form me. And then he continues, uh, verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples of the face of the earth? And uh, so let's just pray. So Father, apart from your presence with us, apart from your abiding presence in our personal lives and in this community, uh, what else will really set us apart? And so, Father, like Moses, we don't want to go apart from your presence. We don't want to live out our lives uh, without tabernacling, without your presence literally dwelling within us and, and forming us and transforming us. So Holy Spirit, uh, I ask that you would enable us to live out this reality of being the tabernacle of God, being the tent of God, being carrying the presence of God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, in um, probably 1994, I, I got introduced to John Wimber. I got induced to the vineyard. And as the Lord, you know, uh, one of the things that John used to say is that you don't join the vineyard, you find the vineyard. And what he meant by that is you kind of like, these are my people. You know, it's not like you, you're joining a club or joining an organization. You're, you're being called into a community. You're being called into a people. And, and the values and the priorities of that community, they seem to match your own. So there's a real sense, and I know that, that was my experience, where the, these are my people, and I don't know them yet, but the way that they're doing life, the way that they're doing ministry is something that seems to connect with me in a very, very deep way. And so as I stepped into the vineyard and the church I was pastoring, as I transitioned it into the vineyard, uh, one of the things that John uh, taught and emphasized was that there was six priorities uh, for the church and that, that vineyard churches, you know, uh, adopted these, these six priorities, that they built their community around these six priorities. And so I began to do that. And, in, you know, those priorities is what kind of built the, the original church in Yorba Linda that moved to Anaheim, but also uh, it built a movement where there's 2,500 or so churches around, uh, you know, around the world. And, and so, uh, and I remember as I kind of made those values, you know, part of my life, and, you know, they were, you know we called them vineyard, vineyard priorities. And, uh, and then, you know, I came to a place where I realized these aren't just vineyard priorities. These are, these are biblical priorities, you know, and that John was adopting these, not because he wanted us to stand out, but, you know, as in his relationship with God, his understanding with the Word of God, these are the things that seem to form a community that, that keeps a community uh, moving forward with the purposes of God. And I remember I was at a church uh, teaching on these, you know, vineyard uh, priorities. And then about halfway through my message, I realized these aren't just vineyard priorities. These aren't just biblical priorities. These have become my priorities. You know, and this is how I have built my life. These are the things that, that enable me to continue to carry uh, the presence of God, you know, into my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, 
into my 60s. These are the things that have kept me, you know, in, in, in the work of God and, and, and uh, pursuing the Lord. And so this morning, I, I want to look at these things again, these, these six priorities. And uh, I'm going to change the metaphor up. If you could think of a tent, these are like six tent pegs that, uh, that, that, that we need to kind of root into the soil of our existence. And uh, these, I, I, and for me, and even when we planted uh, Crestwood Vineyard, and as I was having those early conversations, uh, you know, one of my conversations is, well, this is who I am. And, you know, one of the values we have here at this church is that everybody that comes, they bring a history with God. That everyone comes, it's not like, okay, you, you, you erase your history and now you've got to sign up for this. But rather, you bring a history with God, and it's like a, a you know, a beef stew. Uh, you know, you might bring the carrots, or you might bring the celery, uh, or whatever else you put in beef stew. But uh, we got to have the beef, though. <laughs> I mean, there's some essentials, and you can bring in, you know, and, and we, we welcome, uh, you know, that, that history, those experiences, you know, as, as we kind of you know, cook up whatever this thing is called Crestwood. And so, uh, anyway, I just want to look at these six priorities uh, that has really kept me moving forward uh, and that I believe that will keep our church moving forward. And the first one is worship. You know, at the heart, at the heart of worship is an attitude of gratefulness and wonder. At at the beginning, at the end of the day, it's about worship. It's about uh, seeing who God is and, and responding to that. And uh, I remember uh, just, you know, early in, in, in my marriage with Diana, uh, uh, we we're probably, what, two or three years into the marriage, and uh, Diana was pregnant, and she had a miscarriage, and, and I remember, you know, she had it at her mom's house. Uh, I forgot how far along you were. But anyway, but, you know, there was, there was a mass, you know what I mean, of the, the beginning formation of a child. And, and I remember, you know, after she passed that and, uh, you know, we kind of, we put it in a bread wrapper. I mean, I guess back then we didn't really have, yeah, we put it in a paper sack. Okay. And so we put it in a paper sack. And, and, you know, we took it to the hospital with us so that, the, you know, the doctor could examine it and all that stuff. And, and you know, we were newly married. We'd been married more than nine months, by the way, at that time. <laughs> we weren't that newly married. Yeah, we, we were a few years into it. Uh, I probably didn't mean to say that. But, uh, but anyway, but I remember, you know, she, she spent the night at the hospital. And that morning when I went and picked her up, I had to see the finance office first, and they gave me this huge bill, and, you know, we didn't really, we didn't have any money, and I just was overwhelmed with this, this financial responsibility, and then my wife, and just the sadness of this, and, and us going home, and or our apartment at the time, and both of us, yeah, yeah, I was still in college at the time, and I remember getting home, and there was a notice uh, from the university that they dropped all my classes, that they dis, uh, disinvited me or whatever. It was a mistake. But just getting that news, coming home, feeling overwhelmed, 
just not understanding what happened and why it happened and why did God let this happen. And I remember just lying in bed uh, and just being overwhelmed with sorrow. And at this point, this was a, I don't think I had ever experienced this much sorrow in my life and this feeling of loss and, and confusion. And uh, I think Diana, I remember we were lying, I, th- I think we were lying together and, and I was just in tears, just overwhelmed. And this, at this point, it was one of the darkest places I'd been to. And I just remember from deep, deep in my heart, I just began singing this song that we used to sing back in those days. You know, every day is a victory. Every day is a victory. Every day is a victory when you put it in the hands of the Lord. And just singing that back to God, just, just worshiping him in the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of my confusion, and not understanding anything that was going on, but all I could do at that point was worship and, and, and just love God, even though I didn't understand, even though this was all confusion. And because even then I had an awareness, even though this isn't turning out the way that I, I would want it to, he's a good God. And he loves me. And he's here with me, even though it's not what I want. It's not what I was looking for. And so, and I, I think, at, at, as I said, at the heart, at the embedded in worship is this, this gratefulness and this wonder. You know, and as you read, you know, through, you know, book of Revelation, you see that heaven is full of congregational worship. And so when we approach worship here at, at Crestwood, Uh, We worship with no other agenda other than to adore God. And also we worship with an expectation that as we give ourselves to God, that God will respond and he will move towards us as we worship. And the other side of of singing is is silence. And and we also really embrace that the fact that as we intentionally place ourselves in the presence of God and we practice silence, is that God is there as well. So we, we worship with our voices. We worship with our presence. Uh, we, we worship, uh, you know, just various ways. You know, one of the primary ways that I worship uh, personally is to take long walks in nature. And there is nature in Oklahoma. Just have to look for it. And... Uh, and simply observe what God's created. The, even today, driving the church, just the different colors in the trees and the gray sky and the, the, how the clouds seem to hang over our city and just, you know, the moisture in the air and, and all that. And it's, you know, I see what God's created and I just, I, I just can't help but respond with wonder and with gratitude. God could have been a lot more efficient and created a giant parking lot. But he didn't. He created a garden. And this really came home to me years ago when I was uh, doing some training up in, in fact, it was at a YWAM base up in uh, just outside of Hamburg. And uh, at the end of the, the session, I was, we were at a kind of a retreat center. And as I was walking in the woods, uh, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, I just had this overwhelming presence, this, this sense that God was walking with me. 
And, and, and I, you know, I heard that verse, you know, in, in Genesis where speaking of Adam, you know, it says in the cool of the day, you know, God was walking with Adam. And, and I heard the Lord say that I continue to walk in the midst of my creation. And I had one of those, I don't have a whole lot of them, but one of those experiences where I could see the, him walking in the, the hills in Thailand, along the coast in India, at Mitch Park in Edmond, you know, just all over the world. That, and so when I walk, I walk with this, this um, I think this, this sense of, of uh, assurance that I'm walking with God. And, and as I look at what he's created, I just marvel. And so as, as, a, as a community and as a person, uh, we are shaped by worship. Worship is central to, to what we do. And, and worship encompasses our whole lives, the way that we approach our singleness, the way that we approach our marriage, the way that we approach church, the way that we approach our, our, uh, our businesses, our jobs. Uh, it, it's with a heart of worship. And, you know, I love in, in, uh, in Luke where uh, uh, the angel announces to Mary that God intends to uh, use her womb to bring forth uh, the Messiah. And first of all, you know, Mary has to kind of figure out, okay, how this is going to happen. And so God explains it to her through the Holy Spirit as if that, <laughs> you know, okay, I get it now, you know. Uh, and, but her, after that, her response is, is amazing. She said, I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. That's a worship-focused life. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you do is fine. My life is yours. All that I have is yours. So worship reminds me of who God is and who I am. So that first tent peg in, 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 in living a life that you tabernacle the presence of God is worship. The second one is the Bible as the word of God. And this book really continues to amaze me. The Bible is a door not only into the heart of God, but also it's a door into your own life. In Hebrews uh, chapter 4, if we want to throw that up there, starting at verse 12, and here's the, the writer of Hebrews is describing a kind of experience that he's having with the Word of God. He says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And the word of God is a place to meet God. It's a place to be shaped by God. And so, you know, I not only read the word, but I let the word read me. And that's the kind of feel you get in this passage where the writer is describing the kind of relationship he's, he's encountering with God as, as the word is, is reading him and confronting him. A third peg is, is, is community. And not just community, but a Christ-centered community. 
You know, in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, he, uh, one of the central themes of that book that's really amazing is that he, he discusses Jesus as uh, not only the mediator between God and man, but he's the mediator between us, you and I. Uh, he's the mediator between my wife and I. Is that I go through him to get to her, and she goes through him to learn how to love and to, to, to walk with me. And that to, to live a, a Christ-centered life means Christ is the center. Uh, and, and as we look at community, uh, one of the ways I look at it is just, you know, as I talk about experiencing family, experiencing family looked different in different seasons of my life. You know, it started off with my parents paying all the bills. <laughs> you know, and I was a baby, and they just took care of me. They, you know, I didn't even have to change my own diaper. I mean, they did it all. And, uh, and then, you know, then I, it moved to me being the, the oldest sibling, and, and family looked different. And then I became a teenager, and again, family looked different. Uh, then I became, you know, I was single, and then I, I found someone, and, and I, I started my own family, and two grew to be three, grew to be four, grew to be six, grew to be eight. Uh, and then it grew to be seven, six, five, you know what I mean? And in different seasons of my life, family looks different. So when I talk about family, if I want to go back to what it felt like when I was a five-year-old, I can't do that. You know, I enter into family at a different, at a different place. And I see it the same way as, as church, is that different seasons of our life, church means different things to us. And, and I, I just meet too many people that are, you know, they, they're, they're always wanting to get back to that early experience they had, you know, when they were in their 20s or whatever, and church felt this way. And that's kind of the high water mark for church. And, but, you know, uh, you can't go back. You know, if, you know for me to, to continue to want a family, it meant I had to grow up and get a job. And I had to start doing what my parents used to do for me. You know, and every once in a while, I hear people say, you know, well, I don't need the church anymore. Well, congratulations, you're an adult. What about transitioning into being a responsible adult? You know, what, what about transitioning into a place where it's not about you, but it's about what you bring? You know, it's not about you being served and you being fed and and you, you know, having everything the way that you want it. Are you able to grow up? Are you able to mature where you're willing to step back in and to serve? But not as a child, but you're able to be an adult or a, a grand adult. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, so, and so God, you know, one of the tent pegs uh, to live a Christ-centered life is, is community. And, and I remember being totally burned out with church uh, where all I could do was come and sit in the back row. And that's what I did. You know, that, that's the best I could bring. And I kind of moved to the back row, to the second, to the last back row. You know what I mean? And, and that's okay. But, you know, I mean, I think I continue to embrace church because that's one of the tent pegs. 
That's one of the things that keep us centered in Christ. A fourth, uh, a fourth tent peg is ministry and service. And ministry and service in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, everyone gets to play. That's something that we say. And what we mean by that is that everyone is called to serve in some manner. And you start with what you can do. But what you'll find is that God will meet you there. And then he will challenge you and push you to serve where you're. You start with where you're comfortable then he'll push you to where you begin serving where you're uncomfortable, where you kind of come to the end of yourself and what you can do, you know, and, and still look good. And then he'll challenge you to take risks. He'll challenge you to grow. He will challenge you to do more than what you can do. And, uh, you know, my own experience, I mean, I grew up shy. I stuttered. And, you know, after I became a believer, I'd just come on the weekends, clean the church, and, uh, and then when I got married, uh, and I worked in the book table because I love books, so I could sell books and kind of hide between a, behind a book rather than have a conversation. Uh, but then, you know, as, as I married my wife, uh, she wouldn't let me hide. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we started serving children's church. We started serving, uh, you know, leading a small group. And then it just, my whole life has been God saying, okay, step out of your comfort zone. And, and so we embrace service, we embrace ministry, because what it does, it, it brings us into maturity. And it's, it's a place where we meet God. And, um, and then the, the fifth, a fifth peg is this whole idea of training and equipping others. In 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 2, uh, this is Paul, he's speaking to Timothy, and he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Apprenticeship is the core of Christian community. Apprenticeship used to be the core of culture, the core of society, where one generation would invest in the one that's following them. And in uh, this, you know, this passage here, you know, there were those who, who taught Paul, and I know Paul got revelation straight from God, but he got a lot of revelation from, you know, from a history of, of being, you know, in the synagogue and being formed and trained, you know, as a rabbi. And he got information with, you know, being around Peter and Barnabas and, and all these people. So you have those who, who, who taught Paul, and then you have Paul, and then you have Paul teaching Timothy, and then Timothy's turning around, teaching reliable people who will teach others. That's five generations of, of apprenticeship. And, and the, the core apprenticeship is, is relationships. And so we are to learn from one another, but we, uh, you know, uh, we're to learn in such a way that we can pass on what we learn to other people. Sometimes we learn just for ourselves. And, uh, but we got to approach things that we're learning. How do I pass this on? And, you know, teachers make the best students. You ever realize that? You know, you can, you can do a Bible study. And boy, that was awesome. But then when you have to turn around and teach someone else, all at once it just takes it to another level. 
And so building in an attitude, an expectation that I am called to not only learn this for myself, but to learn it for others. And then sending. And uh, our intention is not to see how many people we can fit into this building. Our intention is to make disciples and send you back out into the world. Authentic mission is born out of authentic worship. And a God-focused life will always result in serving others, sending people out, and being sent ourselves. And so, you know, as a church, we're, we're always looking for a community, those segments of our population that are not being served. And, you know, one of the things that John made it really clear that, uh, you know, if we're going to be a vineyard, uh, you've got to serve the poor. You've got to intentionally go after those who are disenfranchised. You have to give yourself to people, not just people that can, you know, he, he, you know Jesus used an example. Don't just throw parties for people that can throw parties for you. You know, throw parties for people that can't repay the favor. You know, invest yourself in people where there's not some kind of, uh, you know, trade-off there. So let's just close with Matthew 28. And then uh, I'll give the, who am I supposed to give this to at the end? <laughs> is it Mark or is it Angie? Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. So Matthew, let's just end with Matthew 28, verse 17. Uh, and this is Jesus meeting with his disciples at, at his resurrection. It says, when, he, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. So he's talking about millennialists right here, where... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I used to say that you were talking about baby boomers because, you know, and he's talking to all of us at some level because we all doubt, we all wonder. You know, I started my Christian faith with just, I'm just going with the words in red, you know, because I don't know if I can trust the rest of the Bible. You know, and then I kind of worked my way through the Gospels, the Epistles, and through the Old Testament. But uh, so anyway, it says, when they saw him, uh, they worshiped him, and some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so there he sent them out. But, you know, that started in verse 17 with worship. And for us, it begins and ends with worship. Worship is where we encounter God. Worship is where we're transformed. It, it's building that uh, Christ-focused life. And, you know, and just, so we're not building so that people will, you know, there's this old thing, you know, from build the dreams, build it, and they will come. That sounds great, but that's not the gospel. You know, the gospel, you know, we're not building so that people will come. We are building so that people will go. We are building, we are bringing people into community so that we can release them. Now, we hope a few of you guys stick around. <laughs> you know, but it's, 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 it's with an open hand. You know, and our goal uh, is that when you leave, you leave better than when you came. That you're more mature, that uh, you're more healed. So let's, uh, uh, why don't, uh, is it Mark or Angie come up here? Do we need to bring the worship team up here? Yes, okay, the worship team as well. And so, uh, Angie, I'll give you five minutes to uh, do a miracle.
the time limit on miracles. Uh, well, there is with the kids. Oh, okay, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We'll be good. Hmm. Well, let me go ahead and land it. So, Father, uh, yep. this whole idea of being attentive meeting, being a tabernacle, carrying the presence of God to the end of our days. Um, Father, I ask that you would build that in us, a, a love for the word, a love for worship, a love for community, a love for the Bible, a love for learning, a love for ministry, and a willingness to let go of that which you've given to us. And Father, where we're falling short, we ask that you would uh, help us drive that tent peg in. In Jesus' name, amen.